This is the Let It Be Us podcast. My name is Ross Cochran, and I am so glad that you're here. I have the privilege of hosting these conversations, and I want to be really clear that when I say hosting, I really lean into that word. My job here is to simply bring you into the coffee table with the experts that we have so that if you are new to this world of foster care, you feel like this is something that you can do. And if you are someone who's already a part of this community that cares for these kids, that you walk away feeling equipped and encouraged to continue to be involved and to perhaps expand your community or expand the resources that you feel like you have access to so that you can care for the kids that are in your home. Today, we're going to be talking about a more challenging topic. And to help me do that, I am joined by Karen and Kathy, Karen Shaw and Kathy Newberry. Kathy, I want to start with you. Can you let folks know about your context at Let It Be Us and what your big fancy title is? Because you strike me as someone who really, really cares about titles. I do not. But my name is Kathy Newberry. I am the foster care licensing support coach. So basically, anyone who's interested in becoming a licensed foster parent, I help them along the journey of finding the right agency and getting them licensed. I'm also a very seasoned foster parent and adoptive foster child parent. (laughs) And how long would you say you've been a part of the foster care community? I'm, I'm trying to find the biggest, broadest label that I can assign to this world. (laughs) Um, My husband and I have been fostering for over 18 years. So, and um, we did adopt um, our daughter who is now 13 and we're still currently fostering. That's lovely. Well, then I'll also say thanks for taking the time to do this because you could be doing other things. And speaking of other things you could be doing, Karen Shaw could also be doing other things. Karen, what's your contacts at Let It Be Us? I am the co-director of foster care licensing and placement support at Let It Be Us. Um, My background is in child welfare for over 15 years and in licensing and adoption work in those um, spaces as well and started as a caseworker. And so I have a strong commitment to helping kids and that's pretty much all I've ever done in terms of working with children and families. I love it. Karen, let's start with you. So the entire theme of this season might as well be permanency. And if folks are just jumping in on this episode, can you help people understand what that term even means and why is it in the, we'll say, best interest of every child? Sure. So when we talk about permanency um, with a child that's in foster care, we're talking about a child either returning back to their original birth family and be reunited with their family, or if that's not possible um, for different reasons, um, we would look for another alternative would be adoption or guardianship for that child. Perfect. And I think people get that, but there's just so many misconceptions to to say probably the understatement of the year. And Kathy, to go to you here, there was a term that I didn't understand when I came to my first Let It Be Us event many moons ago that I think is relevant here, and that is TPR. Can you help folks understand what TPR is and... It's more of a legal thing, but also not a legal um, thing. It's permanent. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. It's quite all right. But <laughs> when does TPR come up in the foster care process? 
Well, it's termination of parental rights, and it can vary uh, depending on the case, depending on the judge, depending on the location. Um, I always kind of when I'm talking with families, I always say, you know, if it's a brand new placement, you can almost figure nothing's going to happen for at least a year um, or longer. Illinois is about reunification. They push that. They really want the kids back with bio parents. Um, so they are very slow to move to TPR. Um, and even after the process of getting there, it does take a little bit after that for the adoption. Is that right, Karen? Did I miss? <laughs> no, you're, you're, on, you're absolutely right. And so I think what probably the most difficult part of it is that TPR process because it is long depending on the case, depending on how many children are involved in the case, uh, how many parents are involved. Um, also, where the parents are in terms of their progress towards either they were working towards reunification, or were they successful, were they not successful. Um, and the state attorney has like responsibility to get all that data, all that information. And so that information has to be submitted from the caseworker. So it's a lot of intricacies in terms of someone presenting that information over to the courts so they can start that process of termination of parental rights. Um, and they need to have reasonable efforts to show we should be here in court for this child's rights, for the parents' rights to be terminated. So I want to make sure folks are tracking, especially if they're new to this conversation, because we dove into the deep end, which <laughs> is appropriate because this is an important part of foster care. But I want to make sure we connect this explicitly to permanency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of you are probably listening because you have the goal of growing your family through adoption from foster care. And that is a beautiful goal. I want to be really clear about that. Agreed. I've had so many conversations with people like you, and that is part of the work that Let It Be Us does. And it is amazing. But yeah. I want to be really explicitly clear because I am someone who explicitly doesn't work for Let It Be Us. We need you as part of this community for what is in the best interest of the child. Yeah. And what is in the best interest of the child is yes. permanency. Correct. Full stop. 100%. Yeah. And the reason you're hearing such enthusiastic responses from Kathy and Karen is because this process, this legal process, which is sometimes frustrating and yeah. always long, the process yes. is this way because it is protecting the permanency for every child. You guys said a couple of things that I want to make sure we unpack again, especially for that new yes. foster parent. Mm -hmm. If you are completely new to this conversation, I want you to check out the Let It Be Us webinars because they're going to go into greater detail about these things than I'm going to on the podcast. I'm not going to talk about your yeah. specific situation because it turns out yeah. on a podcast, I can't talk back to you. You're going to have specific questions and the team at Let It Be Us are the best people to help you directly. <laughs> so caseworkers have the most amount of responsibility. They are navigating the legal process. They're helping foster parents. And most importantly, they're helping the kids. But if I'm a foster parent and I have these court dates and I'm hearing you talk about this, do I have any specific requirements or responsibilities? Not, not really. I mean, the caseworker usually is the one that goes to court. Um, years ago, uh, we would go to court to every court hearing and take the child. And then it changed. Um, 
then it was, you didn't need to be at everyone. And now I can't tell you the last time I've actually gone to court. I mean, with COVID they've right. changed that quite a bit. So, um, even, even with visits, um, we have case aides that pick up the child and supervise them. So the biggest thing for the foster parent is, you know, we need to make sure that they are giving the child security and, and loving stability. Um, just teaching them to understand that whatever has happened in their life is not their fault. Um, that everything at some point will get better and being a parent to that child. That's, that's the biggest thing with being a foster parent. Yeah. I think I would just add to that is that at least for the, like the termination for our right court dates, um, Kathy is spot on that foster parents don't have to attend. Sometimes parents want to go because they want to be involved in, in what's happening, kind of knowing what's happening, you know, and those court dates because things change, yeah. things happen. There's delays that occur at court dates for different reasons. Sometimes the attorney doesn't show up to court <laughs> and then it's all of a sudden they're saying, Oh my gosh, you no, know, what does that mean? Or there's language that comes out, you know, during a court date that maybe you're not really familiar with, or you're not, not really certain about. Um, but the foster parents isn't required unless, um, they're the child's attorney asked them to be there for a certain reason, but that rarely happens. Um, caseworker is the person who is required to be at those four days for termination parental rights. Um, one thing I would say and always suggest is that workers and the foster parent like connect regularly about those court dates, like keep everyone informed about what happened. If you don't go to the court date, it is perfectly fine as a foster parent, but make sure you talk to your worker and say, Hey, what happened? <laughs> Right. Um, because things happen. Sometimes termination happens quickly and you're like, oh my God, I didn't expect that. <laughs> right. Now we're moving towards the child going towards adoption. And are you ready to start that process with this child, you know, as right. a foster parent? Because I think it's important to reiterate adoption. Once it's decided as the best case for the child, that is to a beginning mm -hmm. of a process. So it's not like you decide yes, that correct. adoption happens and then immediately you have this Instagram moment. There's also this, <laughs> I wish people could see the aggressive head nodding that's happening in the context of the podcast. So I think what you guys are laying out is essentially how the system is designed to work. And Kathy, I think you described it beautifully. Yes. The system is designed so that the role of a foster parent is to parent. Yeah. You are to love the child. You are to be there for the child. And the role of the caseworker is to help navigate the legal process. But of course, if I am a foster parent, I am going to have questions. I'm going to want to be there as it is appropriate. I'm going to want to do everything I can to advocate for the child, but I might not be prepared. I might not have all the answers. I actually might get in the way, but I still want to be a part of this conversation. And I need it to be really, really clear to people. And y'all know this, but just to say it, yes. there is no typical case. Every single child is different. Therefore, every single case for every child is different. However, you said this is going to, for a lot of kids, take a year. And I want to lay out for listeners essentially what they could expect in this year-long process of TPR. 
right? You had laid out, you know, there's certain biological family expectations. There's certain mile markers along this journey. Can you help people understand as much as there are things that you can point to from your experience? What are some things that they can expect during this year long journey so that as they're navigating it, they're going, oh, okay, this was something that I was told I can look out for, or this is something that's going the way it's supposed to. Do you want to do that one, Karen, or do you want me to? <laughs> um, I can start. So yep. I think initially when that child's case comes in, you're talking about reunification. And if that's not going to occur because of different reasons, maybe the parents aren't working towards reunification because they haven't completed the necessary steps that's required from um, DCFS, why the case came into care, um, and we're looking towards termination, um, those processes are going to look a little bit different in terms of, hey, we're going to start moving away from visits being as frequently, because typically you would have weekly visits uh, with the birth parent and the child. And once the court and DCFS is aware that this, this family is not going to make reasonable efforts towards reunification, services start dwindling down in terms of moving that child to be considered with their birth family. And if we're looking at the child going to TPR, are we, we're going to be looking at that foster parent and think, are you interested in adopting this child? Uh, and looking for other opportunities for this child to get placed in a permanent home if it's not with their, with their birth family. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. It's been said that the process to become a licensed foster home in Illinois typically takes about six months. But you can make a difference in the lives of kids in foster care today by donating to the work of Let It Be Us. There are approximately 20,000 children in foster care in Illinois, and each and every one of them deserve a loving home. Many of them will be able to live with their biological families again at some point, but tragically, many won't. The work that Let It Be Us does is so important. By supporting Let It Be Us with your resources, you're supporting the work of helping kids feel loved, safe, and helping kids have an adult who they can trust, perhaps for the first time in their life. The foster care system is overwhelming, but it becomes less so when you decide to join the growing movement of adults who are committed to changing the outcomes for these kids. Thank you for being one of the us and let it be us. Give today at letitbeus.org slash donate. Typically, most times, um, foster parents are interested in adopting the kids because they've grown attachments, they care about the kids, they really want the kid to be loved and cared for permanently, and they want to keep the kids. Sure. Like they know they, that child can't go back to their birth family. Because um, a lot of times it is difficult for even for foster parents, and I could I understand that completely about the reunification process of that child going back to their birth family, even if the birth family has done everything and they've been successful in completing their services. It is hard because that child has become a part of your family, mm -hmm. you know. 
Um, and that's, I think to me, that's the biggest thing that a person can do to being fostering is saying, Hey, I support that birth family, you know, to the point where this child will go back to you, you know, and having that co that co-parent relationship. I mean, it's, there's nothing bigger for a person to be able to do and to open their, their heart and their home to a child and say, Hey, I'm going to support you temporarily while your parent is working on this part of their life, you know? I won't but, Can I jump in just really quick when <laughs> it talks about reunification? Um, we just recently worked with a family. Um, it was a single dad and um, he got his daughter back and working with him um, and basically co-parenting. Um, I was on the notification for school. Um, I would, if something happened, I would message him. Um, and just having that relationship with him and seeing when she got to go home and knew she wasn't coming back, she was sad, the, the child, but she was so elated. She's like, I'm going home. Sorry. <clears throat> and that was the best gift I could have ever seen or done. I mean, outside of adopting our daughter, to be able to watch that part of this process was amazing. Um, you don't get to see that as often as you would like, but it's an amazing, rewarding feeling. And I'm still in touch with them. A matter of fact, I talked with them yesterday. I'm just checking in. How's everything going? Do you need anything? Make sure you let me know. I'm still here. I'm still part of your family. And so people who go into this and they're worried or scared about reunification should realize you're, if, if it goes like it should and they go home and you have a great relationship, you're now aunt and uncle or grandma and grandpa, you know, cousin, whatever, whatever title you want to be, you're still in that child's life. We had a baby that we fostered for uh, like six weeks. I'm still in that child's life and we still go to the birthday party. She's nine years old. So it's well, you're still a, in their life. Yeah. The way that I phrase this is when you say yes to being a foster parent, I hope that what you're saying yes to is being a part of this community, committing to this as a lifelong commitment for whatever you can do at that time. As an example, my wife and I said yes when we lived in a two bedroom apartment in Chicago, which meant that geographically our options were limited. So we simply said that we were going to take in yeah. respite placements only. So we said no to yeah. lots of placements, especially when we first got started. But we did so knowing that we were going to be able to say yes to lots of placements later. We took in respite placements and we've stayed connected to the foster care community more broadly this yeah. entire time. So I've stayed connected. I'm able to host this podcast. I have stories of being connected to this community and I'm not going anywhere. But if you're someone who's listening to this and you've been a foster parent and you're like, yeah, I tried it once and I got burned. I am so sorry that that happened to you, but I would just implore you to think about getting reconnected to this community. Yeah. There are still kids who need the kind of love, mm -hmm. care and support that can only come from your house, your parenting, and ultimately you. Kathy, what I love about what you shared is that you've had almost every kind of scenario of what can happen to a kid in foster care play out in your home, yeah. but all of these different scenarios have ended in permanency for these kids. So 
what I'm ultimately yeah. curious about is, and I'm not asking you to overshare or do anything that you'd be uncomfortable okay. with. So please feel free to put on your clinician hat, but you've had to have conversations. I'm sure with your husband or your support system or mm-hmm. even the children in your home about this yes. process where they've, I'm sure there's been questions that these kids have asked you of when am I going home or wait, now I'm not going home. Yeah. Why? A lot of times when we have those conversations with the kids, um, we do keep it on a very positive note. Um, I, I do not put down any bio parent because they're just going through a rough spot. They need just as much help as the kiddos need. They need support and guidance in being, you know, go to classes to help them. Um, and I always tell the kiddos, like, I'm not perfect. I'm just doing the best I can to help you and your parents. Um, if they are upset because mom missed a visit or mom's missed many visits, we always say like, well, you know, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, we can ask your caseworker or we try to give them really reasonable ideas of what it could be. I don't ever flat out say anything that's negative or mean. Um, we've only had um, one other kiddo that's gone to um, TPR. Most of the kids have gone to family members or home. And so we just really tell them that what I need you to do is be on your best behavior. Do the best you can do because then mom doesn't have to worry about how you're doing and they can concentrate on helping themselves. So you're helping mom by doing the best you can do. I love that. A little bit of what we, and when we don't know, I call the caseworker. <laughs> exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what I love about that is everyone can do that. I mean, you yeah. have obviously invested, this has become your life's work, right? And while that is true for so many in this community, it is not necessarily a requirement. No. But, uh, well, the reality is by admitting when you don't know and not talking down about the biological family and calling the caseworker, the way you handled all those moments while those kids were in your home is why you have appropriate relationships with all those kids now that they no longer are in your home. Because we should also say that even after TPR happens, yeah. even after adoption happens, robust, deep, meaningful relationships with biological families yeah. are still possible. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. No. Go ahead. I was just going to say my my daughter that we've adopted, who's 13, we have um, located two of her biological sisters and have had conversations with them. Um, so... I mean, she has a whole nother side of the family and she's so excited to learn about them. And it was funny because she told me, she's like, it doesn't mean I don't love you. And I'm like, no, I'm excited for you. This is you finding out who you are and where you've come from and and your family. So, And what a gift to be able to give your daughter. It's a full picture of who she is. It, it reminds me of my dad, you know, he was adopted and although he was adopted in a very different era, the reason he went through this journey of finding his biological family was purely medical. When you're adopted, filling out a medical history form is, it's almost comical. You're just kind of putting a question mark over everything. So he went on this long journey to figure out a better sense of where he came from medically, but in a weird way, more importantly, 
me for my biological children, you for the children in your home, listener for you and any children who come into your home. You want that kid in your life to have that full picture. You know that that is important. You know that that is valuable and worth it because you wouldn't be listening to this podcast otherwise. (laughs) You know, one of my least favorite things that people say is I can't get involved in the foster care system because the system is too broken. And what I like to remind them is that the system is actually built on brokenness. So it shouldn't be our expectation that it is already fixed before we join it. And instead, our focus should be on the kids that are in our home. Because the reality is that for most, if not all, of the children in foster care, they are robbed a part or all or most of their childhood. That's what being in the foster care system does. And it is our job as foster parents to remind them and to help them, and I want to ask you guys how we do this, to let them know that what is playing out behind them, the the legal case, the adults fighting, all of that, does not reflect about their identity and who they are and what it means to love them. How do we do that? I think coming from a foster parent's point of view is that the one thing you really need to remember is you can't take it personally. Mm. When a child lashes out, they're angry, but they're not angry at you. They're just angry. They don't understand. They've lost everything. And to them, what we perceive as not being a suitable, safe environment to them, that's all they've ever known. And that is safe and secure to them. So there are going to be times that, you know, it's not going to be all peaches and cream. You're going to have some rough times, but you just need to be open to that and know like, it's not directed at me. I'll do everything I can to help them deescalate or whatever you need to do. I'm here for you. I'm always going to be here for you. Even after you return home, I'm still going to be here. Let It Be Us, a foster care and adoption podcast is made possible by the amazing team of experts at Let It Be Us. Check out the show notes wherever you're listening for more information about Let It Be Us and how you can help out kids in foster care today. This podcast is dedicated to the entire foster care community of parents, professionals, and donors who are doing everything they can to help kids in foster care across Illinois. This podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ross Cochran. The theme song for this podcast is Into Silence by Made to Be. And you also heard their song, You Know a Better Way. Thank you for being one of us. And thank you for listening. We'll talk again soon.